Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the political solution delusion. We'll lead off with Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, and we'll have many other scriptures that we reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. But with the political solution delusion in front of us, Mm -hmm. let's just dig right in. Someone once said, these days everything is politics, but of course politics isn't everything. And it certainly isn't the main thing. We're going to start off this podcast with some pro-life election results, but this podcast is not about pro-life. We're using the pro-life movement as a way of entering into the whole problem of corruption. So just buckle up and hang on. It's about on. Put your seatbelt on. That's right. Yeah. It's about the deception that politics will solve our problems, problems which at their root are always spiritual. Listen to this, first of all, from Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So the Bible clearly is pro-life. This is one of the, of course, more famous passages in the Bible that substantiate vindicate the pro-life view. But now let's read the last two verses here and listen to this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So the Bible is pro-life, but note what Randy just read. that David's meditation on his conception in the womb ends with a spiritual cry to God. Search me, try me, cleanse me, lead me. If he were around today, he would have ended it by saying, Lord, pass a law so that everyone will see the miracle of conception as I do. Now, here's a quote from J.G., and you can figure that out, podcast people. You cannot legislate corruption out of existence. You cannot legislate corruption out of existence. Now, liberals, they're famous for saying you cannot legislate morality. Well, I agree, you can't. But you can punish those who break the law, which is a matter of the will, not of legislation. Ecclesiastes 8.11 Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. In other words, the law is not at fault. The will to act is. And today, encouragement not to act is growing. Defund the police, no bail laws, etc., Despite all this, there is good news for the pro-life movement. Now, again, this is not about pro-life, but trust me, stay with me. Pew Pew Research, January 11th of this year, says this. The annual number of U.S. abortions rose for years after Roe v. Wade legalized the procedure in 1973, reaching its highest levels around the late 1980s and early 90s, according to the CDC. Since then, abortions have generally decreased at what a CDC analysis called a slow yet steady pace, end of quote. So what's the problem? This, 
What the pro-life movement wants is elimination of all abortions, while the pro-choice movement wants to end any ban on abortion. So let the politicking and the legislation begin, and it begins on a collusion course where the winner takes all. Here's what we're getting at. This is a quote from Newsweek, April 26th of this year. Uh, the writer was uh, Isla Slisko. Now, in this quote, a conservative commentator, Ann Coulter, is complaining about the pro-life people wanting a law to ban all abortions in the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Now, here's the full quote. Conservative pundit Ann Coulter is warning Republicans that they must bind and gag anti-abortion crusaders or face political oblivion. I'm begging Republicans to stop pushing wildly unpopular ideas. These fanatics are going to get millions more babies killed when Democrats win supermajorities in both houses of Congress and immediately pass a federal law making abortion on demand the law of the land. If we don't bind and gag these pro-life militants, in about two more election cycles, we'll have no Republicans in office anywhere. This is our defund the police faction. And she goes on to say the pro-life people are, quote, people whose ideological zealotry outruns their rationality. Oh. End of quote. Well, there is truth in the fact that zealotry can outrun our reason. Proverbs 19.2. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul's talking about his own brethren of the flesh, the Jewish people, and what their problem is as to why they cannot understand the gospel. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. So, what is the knowledge or wisdom needed by the pro-life movement? I'm going to quote Cal Thomas. This is from a town hall conservative column, November 9th of this year. Quote, and this is after the elections that had just recently taken place. Quote, elections, especially in Virginia and Ohio, should convince pro-life Republicans of their need to come up with a different strategy when it comes to abortion. A no exceptions mandate or strictly limiting the procedure isn't working, in part because a new generation of younger people seem less predisposed to curtailing it. I see abortion increasingly as a reflection of our deepening decadence at many levels. It is not the main cause of a moral decline that we have. That means it must be dealt with at a deeper level than politics. Mm. End of quote. Now, does the pro-life movement understand this? The pro-life movement advocates have fallen into the major deception of our time. Everything, even abortion, has a political solution. And politics, compromise is key. Even Ronald Reagan conceded that. Yes, if conservatives sacrifice the 15 weeks restriction, they may make up some political ground. But having conceded the 15 week restriction, they have also left open the door for more compromises, which may I add, Republicans are great at. <laughs> Remember what Paul said to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6, 8. And the background here is a fellow is living with his mother-in-law. Am I got that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Living with his mother-in-law and the church of Corinth are just loving it. They think that's a great idea. Here's what Paul says. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The unleavened bread, um, if you will, of abortion, or the leavened bread of abortion, doesn't need to be cleansed from our nation. It is something that is filled with malice and evil. But there's no guarantee it will be done through politics, simply because the evils of the worst kind will continue until Jesus returns and his kingdom is established, as we see in 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right. We're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. And Paul says in Romans 8, you know, one of these days all that corruption of the earth will be done away with. When that day comes, there'll be no more Alexanders. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. This is the last letter of Paul, and he's worrying Timothy about this man. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Watch out for him. In other words, leave him to God. Or as we used to say back in the older days, leave that to heaven. Mm. That's God's business. Mm. Some things must be left to the judgment of God. We cannot solve everything politically down here. Now here's the problem in a nutshell. As Cal Thomas said, ultimately abortion isn't the problem. For at its root, it is a spiritual problem and cannot be solved politically. This is not to give up on contending for pro-life issues, but to refocus on matters of mercy, mm. not political. Pregnancy centers, a great thing. Uh, ultrasounds, the care necessary to preserve the life of the unborn, educating a mother-to-be, all that is great. As Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. There's no law against patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness. In other words, showing mercy. Let us recall how early Christians showed mercy. This is a quote from uh, Vapor and Mist uh, back in uh, 2015 of August 19th. And uh, it, it's a good summary of what we're trying to uh, give to you. Quote, aborting babies is not a new thing in our culture, but has been rampant even in cultures past. Cicero, who died in uh, 43 BC, writing in the period before Christ cited the 12 tables of the Roman law, when he wrote, deformed infants should be killed. Similarly, Seneca the elder, not the younger, the younger was the one who was a, an advisor to Nero. Mm. This is his dad, I believe. Seneca the elder, who lived from 54 BC but died in 39 AD, he wrote, quote, we drown children who at birth are weakly and abnormal. The early Christians lived in a society where infanticide and even child sacrifice was legal. But Christians, transformed by the life of Christ, began to live out something different. When the Romans left their unwanted babies in the forest, the Christians went into the forest and rescued those babies. They didn't, they didn't demand that a law be passed? Didn't demand, nope. That's nope. shocking. It's shocking. They yeah. just took, they took action. They took yeah. the initiative. And as this article ends with, these, with this sentence, they cared for the people, not just their people. End of the quote. The early Christians saved infants from death when the people didn't want to damage baby. 
But when the influence of the church grew, political solutions to cultural evils came to pass for the church. Ironically, this happened after Christianity became legalized in 313 AD by Emperor Constantine. I'm reminded of the temptation to Jesus by Satan um, in the wilderness from Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, where he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give this to you if you just fall down and worship me. Mm. This was the church's uh, wrong turn. Mm -hmm. Remember, Jesus said we are the salt and light of the world, not its legislators. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Yes, the, uh, the salt, of course, adds taste to things, but especially what he's making the point here is it's used for preservation. Salt preserves things. We are the ones who help preserve the world. And um, if we are no longer salt, and the only way you be salt is you taste it, yeah. then how can we get back to being salt? we we got a problem. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, unfortunately, even the best of people fall into this trap. And I mentioned Ronald Reagan earlier. That was his concept of, of a government of America. We should be the light of the world. But that, that's not our calling. Mm -mm. Calling a government is to do law and order. We, the people of God, are the city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So there are two reasons why the politics of this age will not solve the evil issues that a long-suffering God allows. First, scriptures say clearly, emphatically, the world will not change until the kingdom of God comes. Listen to the words of God after the flood is over and Noah and his people come out of the ark. Genesis 8, 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Man's heart is evil from his youth. If that wasn't enough, you know, the Jews of Jesus' day were waiting for the Messiah to come to start the Messianic age when everything would be great for Israel. They'd be ruling the world and all the evils would be subjugated and taken care of. Of course, that didn't happen. Mm -mm. Here is Paul, Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. A present evil age. That's the age we're in. That's the age we live in. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, the rulers of this world didn't understand spiritual things, so they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Likewise, speaking of our conversion out of this world, listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Got to take that to heart. We are, we are those who are saved out of the world in order to be getting ready for the world to come. And one more, 1 John 5, 19. 
We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So if the whole world lies in the power of the evil one and we think politics are going to solve all these solutions, mm-hmm. what are we thinking? Yeah. Well, people say, here's what I think. We need leaders to rise up and solve the problem. Now, here's the thing. For decades, as I have changed my opinions on these things over the years, being, I think, more familiar with, with the arc of Scripture, I finally realized there is no such person. Mm. Now, now and then you can find a person who can do some good, but you know what happens to the next generation, whatever good that fellow has done, or it's woman, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's we gone. just need a good Christian president. We need a good Christian president. That, that will, would solve everything. That will solve everything, yeah. exactly. And that brings us to the second reason. Remember, the first reason is, Scriptures declare, world is evil, this age is evil, and we're in the world's in the embrace of the evil one. Okay. Second reason as to why corruption is such a problem is this, the very nature of corruption itself, which if not stopped, continues until the whole loaf, a.k.a. the world, or maybe the world you're in or I'm in, is totally corrupted and falls under the judgment of God. Now, here's a quote from Touchstone Magazine, the uh, November-December issue. It's where they have their, uh, early on in the, in the um, pages, they have lots of good quotes. This is from a writer, and I was not familiar with this man, but I'm up, I'm, i got to get his book and read it for the next vacation. His name is Eric Vogelin, and the name of the book is Order and History. Now, here's the quote, and this is probably the best quote I've ever come across, explains in a, in a nutshell, exactly the entire teaching of the Bible on this matter of corruption and why you can't legislate it out of existence. Quote, when the corrosion of reason has reached a certain depth and has befallen a sufficiently large number of the people, effective leadership in terms of reason becomes difficult and perhaps impossible, even if a man at the head under more favorable conditions could exert such leadership. And a further degree of corrosion... A man of such qualities will, precisely because he possesses them, find it impossible to reach the position of leadership. Mm. And in the final degree, the society by its corruption will prevent the formations of a man of such qualities. Mm -hmm. That is the nature of corruption. And the last three or four years, I've done a lot of meditating and thinking on that. And basically, I've reached a point when people say, why did they get away with this? My answer always is corruption, corruption. So, end of quote, as we survey now, listen to this, the kings of Israel, and then we're going to take a look at Judah's kings, note that one king's evil influence has been so pervasive, become so corrupt, that the people of the following generations, especially all the kings who follow from this Jeroboam, became corrupt. No one in Israel could find one good king. Corruption made it impossible. Listen to 2 Kings 17, 21 through 23. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants and prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So when the kingdom is split in two after the death of Solomon, Jeroboam becomes the leader of the northern ten tribes. And for generation after generation after generation, the sins he started in the beginning were so horrible and pervasive, they corrupted everybody all the way down, especially the kings. And as you look it up, you can find it yourself. 
Not one good king came out of northern tribes of Israel. Mm. None. All the kings of Israel were corrupt. The only good kings were found in Judah, but eventually even the last four kings of Judah were all evil. It's Johaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. So let's take a brief look at the history of Judah. Now we're in 2 Kings 23, verses 31 and 32. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Right. That's pretty clear. And his son Jehoiakim after him, verse 37. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And then the two kings who followed, this is uh, now we're in Second Kings 24, verses 8, 9, 17, and 19, and 20. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. And the king of Babylon made Bataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence. It came to the point. In other words, corruption reached that place where God brings That's judgment. It. Absolutely. Corruption had reached judgment day. This problem of growing corruption, growing out of power, was summarized by Lord Acton in a letter to Bishop Creighton. Uh, and some of you are probably familiar with this uh, saying, but uh, they were discussing uh, uh, with each other through letters, as and maybe they got together too, but I know this was through letters, as to how to write the history of England. And, you know, histories can be written one way or the other. It's written by the victors. Yeah, written yeah. by the victors. Yeah. And this is, this is what Lord Acton tells the good bishop. Let me read this to you from, um, this is oll.libertyfund.org from their website. Here's the quote. Lord Acton writes to Bishop Creighton in a series of letters concerning the moral problem of writing history about the Inquisition. Acton believes that the same moral standards should be applied to all men, political and religious leaders included, especially since, in his famous phrase, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. End of quote. But now listen, here's something you may not have heard, what Lord Acton says in that letter to Bishop Creighton in the very next sentence. Quote, Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more when you super add the tendency or the certainty of corruption by authority. There is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it, mm. end of quote. Great men, well, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Muhammad, in the eyes of so many great men who were corrupt. Napoleon, you saw the movie Napoleon. I did. Can you give me a real short summary of what you think the movie was about, uh, <laughs> despite what, what may be the truth? It, it was, it was a, a modern-day interpretation of historical events okay yeah okay. It, it was uh it was entertaining mm -hmm. but uh but you know i think still missed the mark on what something historically accurate should have been right on all these people i just named are, are guilty of killing of millions of people yeah that was something too at the end it it 
it, Napoleon, you know, known as a general, it summed up the, the closing credits. It just had on the screen that from, you know, uh, from 1797 to 18, you know, 1814, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, three million people died under his care. Yes. Three million people. Yes. Now, I've not seen the film, but That's I read not a good general. I, I, I looked at my son. I was watching with him. I said, he wasn't a very good general because he still lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ended up on Elba. Um, yes. So uh, I read a review, uh, a well-known uh, movie reviewer, and, and his last line was, he was a great uh, strategist, military, yeah, for clearly. killing people. He said, if he just yeah. used those things for peace. Yeah. He would be better remembered. You know, I just a quick sidebar. I, I went and saw, um, uh, um, goodness, the nuclear. Uh, oh, Oppenheimer. Op- I went and saw Oppenheimer, and and uh, Napoleon with my son. When I went and saw Oppenheimer, I joked with him and I said, "Well, I said it's historical. It's not like they're going to put any sex in here." <laughs> <laughs> there were three sex scenes in yeah. that movie. And as we're going into Napoleon, I'm like, well, now I know for sure. Like, yeah. they're, there's, they're not going to Hollywood this. There were three sex scenes <laughs> in Napoleon. Yeah. Like, and it, unneeded. Unnecessary. Yeah. We need to know about the sex lives of great men. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, tangent uh, diverted. We'll, we'll go back to, <laughs> back to the main topic. Yes. So, again, what, um, what uh, Lord Acton says is great men are almost always bad men. Mm. Now listen to this, because I'm adding to Lord Acton, great men who are corrupt, and only corrupt men want to become great men in the eyes of the world. Mm. This is what Nebuchadnezzar learns in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 30, he goes out, sees the great city of Babylon, he says, I've built it, I've created it, I raised it up, I made it, and immediately a voice from heaven said, you're in the dirt eating grass for a long <laughs> time until you get it right. And it was pride. Pride is the root of corruption. And the fear of the Lord is the cure. Think of Paul when he was Saul. In Galatians 1.14, he says, I was advancing beyond all my contemporaries. He was zealous. He was going places. He was going to be a great man. Uh, but he came up short on the road to Damascus. But all we have to do is compare the greatness of Jesus, the servant, and we see what it means to be great in the eyes of God, which is where we're supposed to be as Christians. How bad is such corruption? Here's a psalm you may not be familiar with, and listen to it closely. Psalm 125, verses 1 through 3. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Let the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Yes, the, the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land that's given to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. That tells us the righteous themselves can become corrupt if it goes on too long. Mm. The temptation of the righteous is to become corrupt as their political and religious leaders are. Verse 3, however, is conditioned by 1 and 2. In other words, he will do that if we are trusting in the Lord like they are like Mount Zion, those who trust in the Lord. Mm. Uh, but the way the psalm ends, it means if we're not trusting and, and corruption can do this, you know, we're going to be in trouble. So the final deliverance from corruptions will come with the return of Jesus uh, as we saw in 2 Peter 3.13. And yes, recently there's been a libertarian chosen president in Argentina and he hates socialism, makes speeches about it. 
and a far-right politician in the Netherlands who might become its prime minister. But people, the underlying spiritual problem stays. The course of this age will not change. The nature of corruption is to corrupt until it falls by divine apartment of its own rottenness. You know, when you you, you trust in politics, you're, you're putting your faith in mankind. Mm-hmm. It's a humanist view, really, Yeah. when you're, when you're looking to politics for the answer. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, very early on in Genesis, this is a, a prophecy that is involved with when Israel will go down to Egypt and be there for over 400 years and then finally come out. This is from Genesis 15, 16, as God is talking to Abraham. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Yeah, it hasn't reached its full measure. Therefore, um, they won't come back to land until God judges the Amorites when the corruption has reached its climax. Here's a short verse from Daniel 8.23, where Daniel has been given a, a prophecy about kingdoms to come. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit. Yeah, once again, corruption reaches a climax. And then there's this great statement of Jesus. Listen to it carefully in Matthew 23, verses 32 through 36, where he's been uh, just ragging off the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders and how bad they are. And then he reaches the climax of his sermon with what is in his words, going to be the climax of the corruption of this generation. Verses 32 through 36. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And they did in 70 AD. It reached a a corrupt climax and the judgment of God fell on that generation. As to the second coming, we also have this from Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Yes, verse 28 says, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Mm. In other words, it will be as obvious as lightning striking the sky, but at the same time, when the vultures gather, corruption is there, and the climax of corruption is judged. So, here's the issue, though, that a lot of people do not understand about corruption. It is cyclical. It goes in cycles. Cyclical corruption is the pattern which is taught in Scripture, not only in the Old Testament kings and their governments. And, for example, the one book in the Old Testament really is cyclical is Judges. Mm. You know, they, they're worshiping the Lord, and then they worship the idols, mm-hmm. and then God judges them and brings their enemies upon them, and then they cry and confess, and God comes and delivers them, and they're good for a generation or two, and then they go back to their idols, and it goes seven times, eight times. It goes over and over again. Yeah. So, listen to this very carefully now. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Yes. Understand this, Paul says, that in the last days, a phrase which means those days we live in, the evil age, he talks Mm -hmm. about in Galatians, between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. These are the last days. Now, there is such a thing as the last days, the last days, but this is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the course of this age, why it's an evil age. There will come times, plural, of difficulty. And if you look at the... uh, the reigning man of the Greek New Testament, Dr. Mounts, uh, he translates that word difficulty, uh, also hard, rugged, furious, and ferocious. Mm. Right. Then we come to the end of that that Randy read, avoid such people. Question, why? Because you'll get corrupted if you yeah. hang around them. Don't be around them. You, if, you, if you hang around something stinky, don't yep. be surprised when you stink too. Yep, yep. Avoid such people. Avoid them which means you've got to be having some sense and wisdom about who those people are. And keep in mind, these people, Paul's referencing, are found in the New Testament in political and religious contexts as well. Then we have this a little further on down the chapter, 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worst deceiving and being deceived. Corruption corrupts and keeps on corrupting. This is what the Bible teaches. It also teaches that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ (laughs) Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah, I'm sorry, people. Bad news on both ends. (laughs) Yeah, we wonder, you know, why is this happening to me? Well, because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian. Absolutely. So we must take these things to heart. So that brings up, as Randy has indicated, a really good question. What is a Christian to do? First of all, Heed the words of Jesus. The background that you're going to hear from Randy here is Matthew 6, where Jesus is saying, all you people are in such a tizzy and stressed out over what am I going to eat? What am I going to do for food? How am I going to get employed? Who's who's going to dress me? And so forth and so on. And he has an answer to that about the basic cares of life. Again, which so often a result of corruption somewhere. Matthew 6, 32 through 34. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day as its own trouble. Uh, I have loved this verse for decades. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus was a realist. Mm. Do not get so upset about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. You've got enough trouble each day to deal with. Absolutely. And then this in John 16, 33, which is really an encouragement. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There you go. Take heart. Be encouraged. Corruption is overcome ultimately by believing in the promises of God, not the promises of a politician. Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He has given us very great promises to trust in, trust in him to bring them to pass. So that through these promises, you become partakers of the divine nature. Now, why is that important? Because the divine nature is incorruptible. Mm. 
That's how we get out of corruption. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world, there it is, because of what? Sinful desire. In other words, all these things start with, I want to be great. Mm -hmm. I want to be somebody. I want to be something. Or I deserve this. It's mine. I need to take it, etc., etc. We're to keep our eyes on the promises of the kingdom, not the politics of the age. We have escaped, but as Peter also says, the battle against corruption goes on within our hearts and our soul. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Abstain from the passions of the flesh that desire to, to corrupt oneself. And they rage, wage war. Again, I mean, if you're paying attention to your spiritual life, you know now and then it feels like there's a war going on. Yeah. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable because that's your witness. More than what you may say is how you live. And they'll say you're an evildoer because why well, you're a Christian. Uh, but then on that day that God visits, they will have a different opinion. They'll see your good deeds and glorify God on that day of visitation, meaning the second coming. So our fight as Christians must always first and foremost be against our own ingrained sinful tendencies. That's the battle to win, not the political one. What if we politically win the battle against, now name your favorite corruption, abortion, drugs, perversions, etc. Okay, name it. Got it in mind? Okay. What if we politically win the battle against that corruption but lose the war in what really matters. Jesus said, did he not, in Matthew 16, 26? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? When the kingdom comes, which we are to pray for on a regular basis, mm. only the righteous will rule. But in this evil age, only the servants of Christ We'll get that promotion. Because what is great in the eyes of the world is an abomination in the sight of God. And that's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. And we've got a lot to think and to talk about, especially with an election coming not too distant future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you may have questions or comments. And if you do, please give those to us at eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's our email address. Or you can post the question in your comments. We will use your question or comment on air where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.